0: GSCI helps logistics providers, banks, and shippers to track air, ocean, and road freight rates. Book a free demo at www.gsci.ti-insight.com. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of TI Talk Supply Chains. I'm your host, Kirsty Adams. During Covid, there were moments when me, you, my mum, your mum couldn't get hold of products that we needed, things like painkillers and PPE. According to Professor John Mannersbell, this has been the main reason for reshoring. When India put an export ban on paracetamol during the pandemic, governments had to consider whether their supply chains were serving health and society. And there was a knock-on effect of the ban, as this lady found out in this clip from ITV News.
1: It is a site that will fill most parents with horror. During a public health crisis, a bottle of Calpol priced on a pharmacy shelf at nearly £20, three times the normal price. If I'm not
2: paying £6 a box, that was 60p last really. week. That is nothing short, scandalous.
0: In this episode and as part of our Made In policy series, John will discuss how Covid led to the widespread of Made In policies.
1: Governments were looking at on a supply chain by supply chain basis, so working out which were critical to their the health organisations or their societies, and that's really where the the main push has, has come for reshoring, which is the other side of these made in policies. We
0: also discuss what Prime Minister Georgia Maloney has been up to, and explore how the US is attracting manufacturing to its shores. But first. Here's GSCI News from the TI Insight team.
2: Thanks, Kirstie. I'm Nia Hudson, research analyst here at TI Insight, and this is GSCI News. Latin American supply chains cause headache for Diageo. One of the world's largest beverage companies has provided a rare insight into the challenges of undertaking supply chain management in emerging markets. Diageo owns drink brands such as Guinness, Johnny Walker Whiskey, and Smirnoff Vodka. It shocked investors with a trading update announcement in November, revealing that sales in Latin America had reduced by 20%. What particularly unsettled investors was the lack of supply chain visibility in the region, leaving them seemingly unprepared for the downturn. This resulted in an initial drop in share price of more than 10%. Chinese trade shifts to Russia. The latest figures from China state railways declare that for the first 11 months of this year, the number of containers handled through the China Europe Express increased by 19%. This is a little surprising. Other sources suggest that volumes between China and Europe have fallen significantly. The South China Morning Post quotes a rail freight forwarder in China who says its volumes to Europe have fallen by 70%. According to our chief analyst, Thomas Cullum, it appears that Chinese trade is being shifted to Russia. Global Express and Small Parcels market to grow 2.2% in 2023. New interim data from GSEI projects that the Global Express and Small Parcels market is expected to return to slight growth in 2023, with a contrasting picture of demand across global regions. The data shows that in 2023, the Global Express and Parcels market is forecast to grow 2.2% year-on-year. Advanced economies are, however, dragging down overall growth. Asia-Pacific is the largest regional market in 2023, whilst domestic is expected to grow at a faster rate than international. That's all from GSCI News this episode.
0: Thank you, Nia. For more parcels, market size and forecast data, download the free white paper. The link is in the show notes. You can also read these stories in full on TI's website under our Logistics Briefing section. And while you're there please sign up to our logistics briefing newsletter, which features lots of stories just like the ones you just heard from Nia. And now you're going to hear from John. We're going to join John at the point of the interview where I have asked him, why are countries developing made-in policies?
1: The made-in policies are becoming, I think, really critical to political and economic policies, which are being uh, implemented by a whole range of different countries, not uh, only in the rest of the world, but also in EU, particularly uh, Italy is is very well known, but certainly in India, already in in China, Turkey, USA. So they, they really have become very widespread in their uh, implementation why is this well although they've always existed because they they're, they're quite popular politically people like to see that they have a strong manufacturing sector and this brings a, a range of in the West, at highly skilled jobs as, as well. Uh, so there is a political implications, but I, I think in terms of real, the real acceleration that this policy has gained came throughout COVID. And uh, the reasons for that is that it was seen that um, global supply chains and the dependency on other countries and in, in far off remote parts of the world provided a real fragility or lack of resilience in terms of supply chains and the supply of strategic goods. I mean, those goods could be PPE, as we saw, but also drugs. I mean, that's a, that was another very important commodity uh, in terms of drugs such as paracetamol even or, or ibuprofen, that at the heart of the, uh, the COVID pandemic, there were shortages. And part of the, the reason behind that was that there was an export ban placed on those drugs coming out of, uh, of India. It was in some cases only for a few weeks, but it still had huge supply chain implications. Governments were looking at, on a supply chain by supply chain basis, so working out which were critical to their health organisations or their societies. And that's really where the the main push has has come for reshoring, which is the other side of these made-in policies. So a lot of sectors, a lot of politicians would like to see some industrial sectors being rebuilt in parts of the world where manufacturing has been offshored for the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, Some of this is realistic, some of it is unrealistic, but that's that's certainly the the main push. And that's why these made-in policies have become so much more important over the last year, backed up by subsidy and protection, which is the reality of actually implementing these policies.
0: And can you share some um, information, John, about the Made in Italy brand? What the new prime minister is, how she's developing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been a new prime minister, well, about a year ago, Georgia Maloney in Italy, and she has, I suppose, of all European politicians, she's been seen as the sort of poster child for the for the Made in brand, or in this case, her case, the Made in Italy brand. I think on on day one, she came in and uh, changed the the name of uh, one of the the key commerce department to Made in Italy departments and uh, just to to show how, uh, I think, uh, how serious she was uh, about. Building on Italy's already strong manufacturing sector, particularly uh, in luxury brands and particularly in fashion textiles, but also pushing into the technology sectors uh, as well. There are there are plans to build semiconductor uh, wafer fabrication plants in in Italy uh, as well. So it became really important, I think, to rediscover that that manufacturing uh, expertise and experience. And at the same time does that create many jobs within Italy. And um, obviously, there are limits to what she can do, because being part of the EU, then there are laws on, on how much you can subsidize your, your own economic uh, sector. But increasingly, what we're seeing is that that rulebook is being torn up and there's been a far more state subsidy in Europe over the last couple of years than there has been over the last 20. I mean, that's, uh, that's the reality of the situation. Back in 2015, there was just over a, a, about a 100 billion euros of EU-approved state subsidy across the whole of Europe. By 2021, so in the, the middle of the COVID pandemic, this has risen to 334 billion euros. And in the last 18 months, this has jumped to 733 billion euros of approved state aid. and. Uh, That's a source of frustration to many people within the EU, which, of course, has been trying to reduce all all these state subsidies because they create an unlevel playing field. So it's not a fair competition, especially for manufacturers or for some of the smaller members of of the EU who are at a disadvantage of manufacturers being subsidized by, for example, German or, or French government, which has very, very deep pockets.
0: And how would you say, John, these moves are impacting international relations? Obviously, we know that um, it's more tricky for certain EU countries. How about beyond the EU?
1: In many respects, the huge growth in subsidy has been driven as a way of standing up, responding to the Inflation Reduction Act in in the US, where the Biden administration has uh, authorised uh, an enormous uh, amount of of state subsidy uh, as a way of stimulating the uh, the U.S. manufacturing industry, particularly in green energy and green tech, also in semiconductors. There are other other acts as well which subsidizes. I think the Chips Act, for example, is uh, very much the uh, the conduit for a huge amount of state funding for uh, for the semiconductor industry, and that's. That the impact of that is that many supply chains are now moving from Europe and from Asia into the USA because to take advantage of the the subsidies which are on on offer, I think it's about seven and a half thousand dollars per electric vehicle, if you just look at uh, that particular sector, you have to base your manufacturing in the the US. And so uh, this is already having a major impact and companies are looking now at investing in the US as opposed to investing in, in Europe or in Asia. So many people, many politicians in the EU think, well, the only way that we can respond to that is by increasing our own levels of subsidy. Now, the the problem with all this is that this has the impact of destroying value rather than creating it. So companies become more focused on competing for subsidy than they do competing for customers. That goes against everything that we've learned over the last 30, 40 years in in terms of building uh, robust and resilient uh, economies. That's the real fear.
0: So what then does that mean, John, for the future of Italy's supply chains?
1: Well, what we're we're already starting to see in Italy is the creation of more nationally focused supply chains. Uh, certainly, if you look at uh, another reason behind it, if you look at uh, circularity in the environment as well, we're seeing the growth of uh, sort of ethical or green supply chains, which uh, are relating to parts of the textile industry, where there is a lot of manufacturing in a very small uh, area. I think organic cotton can be sourced from Spain or from reused textiles which are again recycled in from Italy so from the, the green perspective there there is also a, a, an imperative to create these sort of locally based or, or regionally based supply chains and with uh, Italy also trying to develop a sort of Mediterranean regional supply chain at the same time as, as this so sourcing goods uh, from other Mediterranean countries such as Spain but also from uh, North Africa and also So the the Middle East. And so we're seeing a growth in uh, short sea shipping across that particular area and uh, also more focused around uh, road based movements as as well. So that's having an impact on the logistics industry uh, as as well in terms of where there are areas of, of more growth. Eventually, uh, we will see fewer movements of, of global goods if this particular trend uh, continues in the way that it, it is at the moment. What
0: about in the UK John who are we grouped in with in terms of reducing supply chains?
1: Obviously, we have our own barriers to trade with with the EU as well, which will will skew things I, I would say, and I think that um, it will certainly will happen that we we will develop are European supply chains faster than uh, supply chains with the rest of the world on this sort of basis because there will be if the the EU is spending 733 billion euros uh, of of subsidizing its own industry then there will be benefit knock-on benefits for the for the UK as well and I should imagine that any incoming government as well will also be subsidising UK manufacturing. Uh, they're already doing it in the way of you know, Tata Chemicals or Jaguar Land Rover as, as, as well. And huge amounts of money is being spent on, the, on these to support uh, manufacturers uh, in in the UK. So I, I think th- this will lead to more regional-based supply chains and fewer global movements of goods certainly from from china what we're seeing is if we look at the sort of global context a lot of manufacturers are moving out of china but they are they're not necessarily moving back to europe uh, where costs are so much higher, but they are uh, moving to other parts of, of Asia. So uh, uh, I think going back to the UK, uh, we're seeing that uh, agreements that we have in place with the Asian trading block, which was uh, put in place quite recently, will be uh, very useful in actually, I suppose, propelling forward those particular trade lanes.
0: John makes a really useful point there about how Competing for subsidy actually destroys value. And that message seems to be getting lost somewhere along the way. Also, it's really interesting to hear about Italy's plans to manufacture semiconductors, but also how the US is luring production to its shores. Is that something you plan to do? Do you plan to head to the US? If you do, please tell me why. Email kadams at ti-insights.com. Regional supply chains like The one um, John described in the Mediterranean, which has been developed, does make sense, especially for the environment. Uh, Not for me, though, because I'm based in the UK and I love the food and drink from those regions. So I hope they connect to us still. Never mind. That's all this episode. But please come back for part three, which focuses on India's made in policies. And if you haven't listened to part one, then please do go back and listen right now. See you next time.